You're listening to the Improve Photography Podcast. Hey, everybody, and welcome back into the Improve Photography Podcast. I am I'm gonna I'm being given the pilot seat in this episode today, uh, and even though Jim's on, I'm gonna I'm giving it a try as the main host today. So we'll see how that goes. As we record here in late March 2018, we all just got back from the awesome Create Photography Retreat held in Charleston, South Carolina, and uh, we wanted to do a roundtable episode talking about some of the unique things that we took away from the retreat this year. Uh, Erica and Connor are going to be sharing their thoughts on an upcoming portrait session episode, so be sure to check it out to kind of get their perspective on how things went at the retreat and, and what they took away from the retreat is kind of the biggest thing. But today I have with me Brent Berger and Jim Harmer. How are you guys? Doing hey, awesome. Doing well. And I've got to say, it's really nice to not be the official host of the podcast. I think <laughs> this is fun. Well, we'll see what the people think <laughs> as we get this posted. Uh, but I'm excited to do it. I, I've hosted the show before, but not with Jim. It's been because yeah. Jim didn't come. So yeah. it's kind of fun. All right. Um, so I want to get some things from each of you that you took away from this retreat this year. Something that you either didn't expect from the retreat, even though we had one last year, so this wasn't completely new, but maybe it's something different that you didn't expect or might be like totally unique just to the retreat experience itself. I mean, the conference, Create Photography Retreat, we're trying to have that be something that's different and unique from other photography conferences, primarily making sure there's plenty of hands-on throughout the retreat. Lots of opportunities for people to get in there and shoot, not just listen to someone else talk about shooting, which was uh, certainly there was plenty of that too, but but it's a lot of hands-on. So I want to start off with the, with the list. I have kind of three things that were really st struck out to me as we were at the retreat. And, and get your thoughts along the way, too, because I'm sure you had similar experiences as I did. And then we'll all let you guys share some of yours. Does that sound good? Yeah, Sounds absolutely. Great. And I right. I guess I just want to introduce the retreat to those who don't know it. Uh, so this was last year. It was called the Improved Photography Retreat, and we did it um, in Phoenix, Arizona. It was super fun. Um, and then this year it was in Charleston, South Carolina, and it became its own legal entity. And so the name changed from Improved Photography Retreat to Create Photography Retreat. Um, and BJ and Rachel Hansen are, are they're owning and, and operate the, the, the retreat, the, our mini conference. And it was just a really awesome event. So uh, we're looking forward to going to next year as well, which we'll talk about, I'm sure but that's going to be in Las Vegas, Nevada. So if you're listening to the show as we're talking about this, you can go to createphotographyretreat.com uh, for details on the event that'll be March 28 to 30, 2019. Perfect. Okay, let's let's uh, go through some of the stuff that I know. So the very first one, and it, it, so it wasn't entirely unique to this experience this year. It kind of was just reinforced. And uh, I kind of came away with the same observation last year. And I did an entire Photo Taco podcast episode on this topic, which you can go find if you do a Google search for uh, Photo Taco and then uh, retreat or something like that. Ten things I took away from the retreat. But the, one of the, the most powerful things that happens at the retreat it's amazing to me what happens when you get around a couple hundred people who are as passionate about photography as you are. I mean, all of us, I think, have this experience where, where we go shoot. Uh, we have our family around with us a lot, a lot of the times, especially landscape as you're out uh, maybe on a vacation with family or just uh, even if you have portraits that you're shooting. 
the roll of the eyes from your spouse, perhaps, <laughs> when it's time to go shoot and, and do photography again. Yeah, it's sharing the experience with other people who are just as excited to be out there and uh, and doing photography as you are is just it's intoxicating and, and just enhances that experience way more than I ever had anticipated. Did you guys feel that way as you were there? Yeah, absolutely. I, in fact, I would say that was probably the the number one thing that probably everyone gets from uh, from the experience is no. I I seriously doubt that anybody left the experience kind of done with photography <laughs> for a while. Right. Like right. I I think in everybody it kind of brings back oh this is why i'm doing this it's really fun to learn new things and so if you find yourself in a rut like i do often uh boy when you're just around other people and like there was a guy there i'm sorry i'm sure he's listening but i don't remember his name who was doing the stereo uh stereoscopic photography where he'd take two lenses next to each other um and take the images um with you know two cameras on two different lenses and then you'd look through a viewer uh, i saw the next day i didn't see it while he was shooting what the images looked like but then I looked through a viewer to see the stereo images and it was awesome. It was so cool. We're like <laughs> way different than I had expected. It was awesome. And when you see things like that, just like all day long, you're just getting, oh, wow, this person's do that. And this person's doing the other thing. Like it just totally gets the creativity coming again. If you feel like, eh, you know, you're just kind of just in a rut with photography, kind of just doing the same things. That was really neat for me. How about you, Brent? Did you see, did you see people who were reinvigorated? I did. And the thing I probably, that's really stuck out for me was just the, um, kind of one of the items in, in one of my bullet points I wanted to talk about was just the, the energy that people can have. And when I go out and shoot, you know, I tend to just shoot all day. And, and as you mentioned, you know, with the family and the like, if you're traveling with them, you got to think about that right? And, and take that in consideration. But like I did my workshops and the people that signed up for my workshops were just amazing. They were um, dedicated, energetic, patient, all of that stuff all rolled into one. And it was just really cool to shoot with uh, these people and, and help them certainly um, – learn a new thing here and there and and show them some awesome sights uh there in charleston so yeah being a couple of intrepid people you know with some intrepid people that just get it the way you do it's really awesome it's so fun and and we're not talking about like energetic it was not because they were well rested <laughs> no i don't uh, certainly i don't mean energetic as in hyper yes. or anything i mean energetic as in they you know you can persevere you've got the stamina yeah. you're going the distance so to speak it just like surfaced the passion it really brings that out in you but um i just another part of this was nobody was was super uh, well rested but nearly everyone was getting up for sunrises, going to Astro, or shooting just like right. all day and all night, and for three straight days, it was very tiring, but so mm. much fun. And and so yeah, there was still like this sense of energy by all the people at the retreat, even though most everyone was by day two just flat out exhausted. Mm -hmm. uh, the passion just really comes forward, and it it was really fun. So it's just if you've never been to something like this, I think you can't. Uh, overestimate how powerful this is. And and you really need to consider if it's at all possible to get to Las Vegas next year for the retreat, um, come in and find out what that feeling's like. Um, if you're doubting it, if you're kind of wondering about, well, 
the the ticket price or the travel fees or taking the time off of work that you might have to do. Um, if you can work it, like we got a year now, if you can, if you can get it worked out in your schedule, it would be, uh, it's really an incredible feeling. All right. So my next one, um, a little tiny bit of instruction goes a really long way. And as you go to look at some of the courses, the, the, the sessions that we had of instruction, we limited to an hour. Uh, in some cases we heard a lot of feedback where that's just not quite enough and they need some more, but even within an hour, a whole lot can be accomplished. There's a lot of things that can go on and a lot of learning. And really what it more more than anything, what, what I observed happening was people were these photographers were catching like just tiny little things that they were missing, either in taking the portraits or in post-processing or some kind of technique. They were missing just little tiny things and seeing it demonstrated live in front of them or being able to ask a question as somebody was doing something like, why are you doing that? What is it that you're trying to accomplish? And, and because everyone was so approachable, they could get those questions answered. Um, it really kind of made these connections. And I think it like the little tiny bit of instruction was able to really significantly improve their photography. And it goes along with that reinvigorating again, the passion coming out. Everyone was so excited to go home. Like I learned a few new things here that I'm going to be able to go home and really have a massive difference in my photography. Uh, so Jim, do you, do you think you saw any of that? Yes. Well, a specific uh, instance, we were shooting with a, a softbox overhead of a dancer and right. um, we had, so we had a bunch of dancers, uh, ballerinas that were there um, and we had probably six different setups uh, around the conference center where people kind of set up shooting. Uh, we had, they had so many models um, that night that people were just shooting and it was really fun. But, um, but uh, somebody pulled me as I was, as I was walking past, somebody pulled me in and said, Hey, I watched, I can't remember who it was. I watched one of the instructors doing this earlier today and it looked awesome, but I have the light set up exactly like they did and it doesn't look awesome. It actually looks kind of terrible. Uh, what is it that I'm missing? Um, and it was this overhead softbox on a, on a, yeah. on a C stand. Um, and the problem was just one little thing. It was a difference of six inches that the, the softbox was like directly over their head, centered over their head. And so half of the softbox was being wasted. It was being shot to the back of their head and behind their head. And so the light just, it just didn't look very good. And so we moved the that light forward so that um see if i get so the back half the back end of the softbox was like right along the the line of their face above them does that make sense so the softbox yes, is yep. all like in front of them and it ends right as where their face is anyway um it just made that just little move six inches forward and suddenly the light became way softer and filled in so many of the shadows that they were trying to fill in with reflectors and multiple flashes and stuff and it just needed that one change so that's one thing that i have learned a lot lately is just the importance of seeing an entire process. Um, and uh, I guess it's just another example of this. Is So I've been getting back into tennis a lot, and I've been going and playing every day. And uh, the way I've been learning is I just go on YouTube and I watch slow motion videos of, of Federer or Nadal um, serving, <laughs> and I'm trying to do exactly what they do. 
Um, and that was kind of like this person was, you know, watching a photographer who has more experience and, and trying to recreate it. But because they didn't have somebody right beside them showing them, oh, this is why we're doing this thing. And actually, it's important to move this six inches. You just may never, ever notice yourself. And so you get so frustrated trying to compensate because you don't have the whole picture of the instruction. And so that's one of my favorite things about just any kind of in-person shooting experience, even if it's just a free meetup group that you do with other photographers, is just being able to fill in those things by watching other people. And then there are some things that you just may have never noticed that you're doing wrong and it clicks as soon as you see it in person. Or even such a tiny little thing, like I probably had at least 10 people find me at the conference and say, how do you do back button focus? I just don't know. Oh, yeah. What do you do? How do you set this up? And uh, and so I, I spent just, it was only like two minutes with each one of those people. It wasn't that it was that long. I didn't have a whole bunch of instruction, but I helped them set it, go through the menus and set the button up. And then it kind of explained a little bit about why it is I shoot that way. And it like clicked in their heads. I could tell just by looking, I'm like, oh, I get this. I think I understand this now. This wasn't as hard as I was making it out to be. Uh, kind of had like this misconception about what it was and how to use it. And uh, so I think just a tiny bit of instruction really goes a long way. How about you, Brent? Do you have any examples that you observed? You bet. At the studio session that I was doing, we uh, I was on the uh, item with the little young Newell lights. And so I had a group, I don't know, it was about six or seven people there. And all of them were absolutely brand new as far as I could tell. And so we um, got them set up and we we're starting to go through the, the setup and trying to measure the light without a light meter. And so I was, you know, walking them through that process and several of them were just like, really? And they're just like, what? And they're like, how did that work again? You know, so we just go through it, maybe just a quick breeze through. And it was it was definitely exciting to see how that just kind of really clicked for them. And then they got experience actually shooting the models with the the decent light once we got right. it all dialed in and everything so that was cool okay and that that's kind of the third point that i wanted to share with everyone was that everyone thoroughly loved doing the flash photography we had a lot of people at the retreat who either had never really done it or they considered themselves landscape photographers but we we had lots of landscape photographers and lots of of uh, sh- portrait shooters who only use natural light who were experiencing flash for the first time, or maybe they tried it, but it was frustrating in their first experience and they, they hadn't taken it very far. And we had lots of opportunities throughout all the entire retreat for people to, to utilize flash and all the models that were available. And everyone that did it like without fail, and I had most notably a lot of landscape photographers like, this is actually really fun. I really mm-hmm. like this in doing flash photography. It was like, you know, a, a, a constant uh, thing. And, and and they learned a lot too. Like, even though they may not go home and do a whole bunch more of flash photography because they mostly do landscapes and that's what they love doing, learning how to deal with light, anything you can learn about light is a great right. thing to have so that you it'll make you a better landscape photographer to get that experience and kind of learn that much more about light, how it works and how to photograph it. Uh, and get into exactly. a genre that maybe you don't do all the time, but boy, is that a valuable experience. And uh, and that just really seemed to to matter a lot to nearly everyone, regardless of kind of what they normally shoot. Yeah, because, you know, like you mentioned, even landscape photographers, I can think for myself whether it might be using just a reflector in a net landscape setting 
sometimes using a flash. I'm not really much of a flash shooter myself, but uh, that still just having that extra tool in your in the back of your mind definitely can uh, help you see a new. Uh, something new maybe for that scene that maybe you've shot over and over, or again, maybe you're coming to a new scene and you're going to interpret it differently because of the new tools you have. It's good stuff. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah, I I think it's really unfortunate when uh, somebody brands themselves in one genre of photography too early, or maybe even at all to some extent. Um, It's, I, I think when, you know, somebody's, you know, been doing photography for six months or something, and they say, well, I'm a landscape photographer. I always think, oh, hold off, like, like hold off a while. Um, because, you know, you maybe haven't tried macro yet, or you haven't tried it in a way that will excite you yet, or you haven't tried uh, flash photography or product photography or so many other genres to go through, night photography, um, that I, I just, it's, I think some of the best photographers are those who have dabbled in everything, and then went deep in one. You left out paparazzi. No, paparazzi. <laughs> I, I haven't done that yet. I haven't done that There's yet. your calling. <laughs> or, or even if they don't focus on or spend a lot of time there, the the knowledge you can gain from going somewhere else, or that'll help you get break out of a rut going and do something else. We've mentioned this a lot of times on the on the podcast previously, but that's what a great way to get out of a, a rut if you go have to figure out something completely new and different that you've never done with your camera. You're going to learn a lot in the process, but it also might get those creative juices flowing and and help you fall in love with photography again if you're having some trouble with uh, with doing that. Mm-hmm. All right, well, that's uh, I think that's good for about the first half of the show. We want to get I want to get your thoughts on some other th- things that you took away from the conference. But before we do that, we need to thank the sponsor of this episode. This episode is brought to you by Masterclass. As a listener of the Improved Photography Podcast, you clearly like to learn about photography, and Masterclass is a great way to take that learning even further. These days, there are so many options out there to learn things, like free choices from YouTube videos to podcasts like what you're listening to now, to countless paid-for options. But Masterclass is very different in two ways. First is the way they partner with the master of whatever subject you're looking for training on in order to produce the content, the very best in the world. They go find them and that's who they partner with to produce the content. You can choose from classes taught by over 30 masters across a wide range of fields like writing, cooking, film, and of course, photography. The second thing is the quality of the video and the content. Unlike a lot of video training you might find elsewhere where the audio video quality is poor, the content's not very put together, it's hard to follow, makes it really tough to learn from the videos. This content is beautifully produced and carefully curated. If you're interested in more than one class, you need to check out the All Access Pass. With the new All Access Pass, you can unlock every class from over 30 masters, all for the price of two. Improved photography listeners can get the All Access Pass at masterclass.com slash improve. Learn from the very best in the world at masterclass.com slash improve. One more time, that's masterclass.com slash improve. We'd really like to thank Masterclass for making this episode possible. Okay, Brent, so tell me what it was that some some things you took away from the conference that were either surprising to you or very different from previous conferences you might have been to. Well, I found, I think, uh, from what I witnessed, that participant involvement, just whatever it was they were doing, uh, it just felt more genuine. And it's hard to really quantify that probably. 
you know, I've been to other photo conferences and web design conferences and design conferences and whatever else. And it's more than just something you go to sit and listen and, and whatnot. Um, you know, I've been to Photoshop World and uh, North American Nature Photographers Association. Uh, that's a hard one to say. I've been to those twice each, I think it is. And while they're excellent conferences, I would certainly never put them down. It's just there's there is that little bit difference here where the participants, I don't know if it's I want to say they feel more empowered or they just take more of that. But it is definitely 100% about them, and it's wonderful to just, just get involved with them. So if, if there's any way to, to more articulate that, we po possibly already mentioned stuff like that. But it is definitely something that I kind of noticed as well for myself. Yeah, I loved the the energy of the of the people there. Like anytime you get people that are, you know, traveling from many different countries, uh, all and lots of different states, all to one place, everybody is, you know, taken off work and paid money to get there and everything. Like it can be really easy for people to feel like, you know, uh, oh, this didn't go the way I wanted it to, and you know, you kind of get upset. And I, I just thought it was so cool that all week long, I never heard a single complaint, not one. Uh, lots of, you know, we asked for feedback and stuff, people suggesting different things, but I never heard a single complaint. And that is awesome and so rare uh, to experience. And to me, that is a huge part of what made the experience just what it was, is everybody mm -hmm. was just had a positive attitude and was sharing and, and making things fun. And people were messaging on the app saying, hey, let's go shoot tonight and just kind of setting things up. That is cool. And I that just made me really happy that, that everybody just kind of came with that kind of collaborative spirit. I liked that. I also liked how they, uh, you know, we put a, we put some, the photographers in some groups, and um, it, it trying to organize them a little bit, but mainly it was just to facilitate some networking. We wanted to get people to not just come and be either by themselves if they came by themselves and and not really kind of try to get to know anybody else, um, but also if you came with a friend or two or three, then that you didn't just experience the retreat with those people. And so, so we had we organized them into some groups. We arranged for some some things to happen as groups, and um, you know, I, I saw a lot of posts from people who put pictures of their group, people that they didn't know before they came to the retreat. Um, some we we organized it this year. The groups were by as good as we could by geographic region. So that that really enhanced the networking opportunity too. That they these were people that were from your same area of where you live, and so you you know you have some opportunities to to utilize those resources after you come back from the retreat. And it, that's how we decided to do it this year. I think we're going to take a little different approach next year in the grouping, but it's, it's a, a different kind of experience that you get out of the retreat by doing that where, um, you, you get to know a lot of people, you get out of your comfort zone. Like we, we really almost forced it <laughs> that you had to get out of your comfort zone and go do something new, something you hadn't tried before, meet some new people. And, uh, you know, it, it, there might've been some hesitancy initially, but I think, like you said, Jim, I didn't hear a lot of complaints about that either. None about the grouping, really. And uh, and it went. It's just really neat, really fun experience to be able to see that and and how everyone handled that it was great. Yeah, that so that kind of ties into one of my favorite takeaways uh, from the conference. Uh, in the opening presentation, I, I kind of looked back on on what photography has given me, um, like like what has it helped me uh, to to accomplish personally and not, not accomplish, not like from a career standpoint, but just like 
what it has done for me as a human being. Um, and as I look back on my photos, uh, I, I realized in looking through my portfolio, the five-star photos, you know, you, you focus so much on the portfolio and the quality of this particular image that it can be really easy to lose the adventure in the photos you take. Um, and when I look back at photos from China, like I remember the funny stuff that happened on the trip and uh, and being in airports for three days um on the way on the way there like you remember the adventure um and just feeling that feeling of feeling soaked for days at a time and never feeling dry the adventure becomes so much more important to you as that shoot gets further and further away and so oh, yeah. it, it can be so easy to kind of shortchange yourself the adventure from photography. Um, you know, even if you're just shooting a model, you go shoot a model and, and it's a very transactional, come on in, smile, turn to the camera, um, and you just never really got to know that person and, and never made a connection. Well, if you're a portrait photographer, you should be making that kind of connection. If you're a landscape photographer, you should be waking up at two o'clock in the morning and, and being cold <laughs> out there shooting and stuff. Like, you bet. There's an adventure <laughs> behind every photo. And if you're not careful, you can totally miss it. Perfect segue. I wanted to talk a little bit about, again, on the workshops. Uh, Saturday night, I had a, a Sunday workshop. And Saturday night, I got an email from my boat tour operator saying, we're going to have to cancel and I was like, no. And so I called the captain at 4.45 in the morning. I said, really? It's not <laughs> raining? And so he's like, let's meet out there. We'll we'll call it when we're out there. And I let him know. I'm like, hey, you know, safety obviously is my big issue here. I don't want to do something stupid. My big issue, but, but my biggest issue is the photos. <laughs> Get I me said, on the boat. You know, exactly. I said, we're a rather <laughs> intrepid group. I was like, rain is, we're going to be shooting regardless it's just, right, right. you know, I paid you to get us out on that island. As long as it's going to be safe, can we still do it? And we still did it. It was awesome. It was cold. It was rainy. But we still got out of Morris Island, and we got some unique photos. And the people were, you know, just from what I could tell anyway, they were loving it. So uh, it, it was it was awesome. And then, you know, I've already seen in the, the Facebook group that I have for it, yeah, the, the adventure along with that. It was just something that's highly memorable. Right. And uh, don't lose it for the adventure, for sure. That's that's definitely something that's important. Yeah, and if you, right. you know, that's so easy to do when feelings of jealousy start entering into your photography. I think every photographer, to some extent, deals with this. Um, and when we talk about it a lot, but I think all of us need to acknowledge that probably in all of us, it does exist to some extent. That when you look at this photographer who's just producing amazing image after amazing image after amazing image and getting a bajillion likes on Instagram and you say, but my photos are better. Like there, it's really easy for those, those feelings to seep in even in tiny ways, maybe without you even realizing it. And that's another way that you're just being cheated out of photography. And eventually you kind of get, um, you're not as motivated with it. You kind of feel discouraged with your photography and maybe you haven't even admitted it yourself but that's kind of what's leading you to, to not take pictures as much anymore as, you know, you were on Facebook so often and saw so many other awesome images from people and, and then you kind of cheated out of it. You know, you just, yeah. you're, you're cheated out of the joy of photography because of that. And, and I think, again, that's kind of a, this was the first opportunity for a lot of the attendees at the retreat to have that adventure. 
they they maybe are uh, taking uh, portraits at home and and making a, a good living out of it, or or at least a good side income, uh, or at least enjoying it. So one of some of those factors, but this was for many of the attendees the first time they've gone somewhere else and had a lot of the experiences they had. So this was their adventure mm-hmm. in, in going to get some photography, was, was coming to the retreat. And man, it's just a spectacular feeling to go do that and have that adventure and come away with some good photos that spark those memories. And they'll be able to look at those forever and remember when they went to the retreat and the experiences they had. Yeah, that, that's a good point. I think it was really neat to see the mix of people we had um, at the retreat. So I taught one class that was uh, marked as a level six advanced Photoshop. Um, and then another class that was marked as very beginner night photography. And I was just curious to see how many people signed up for each course. Cause, and again, that's another thing that I really liked how BJ and Rachel organized was the rooms were big enough for each class. And so there was, you didn't have to register for what class you go to. You could just walk into whatever room you want. And I loved that anyway. Um, but I was curious to see how many people would go to those two presentations and they were both equally well attended. Uh, like we had just a really great swath of skill levels. There were many, many people there who were full-time professional photographers. And there were also many people there who were very much a beginner photographer. A lot of people were in the middle. You know, people who know how to shoot in manual mode, they can get their way around a camera and even take decent pictures, but just, you know, wanted to do something more and learn new techniques. So I think it was fun to have a different, just such a wide variety. It was. It was really fun to see all of that. They... It was fun, and everyone got along, too. It wasn't like, oh, I can't talk to you. <laughs> I'm a pro. You're not. <laughs> yeah, not yeah no. None of that. I didn't see any of that going on, and it was it's great. Everyone was approachable. We were all there to kind of learn together and all improve, no matter where we were at in our photography. It was wonderful. Uh, okay, Brent, any other thoughts? Yeah, there was, there's two more hopefully I can touch on, and that is I received some feedback from the listeners, from the people who were there. You know, They're telling me how much they um, enjoy the podcast, but also the presentation in particular, the one I'm thinking about is design principles in photography. It was just, it's very heartwarming to feel, to, to, to receive that feedback. So I, I know that people are resonating with with what's being said so they're finding value there and i I just you know i want to thank those people who are coming up and saying uh those comments to the presenters because it does mean a lot to the presenters so give us give us the goods then what what was it what was the takeaway (laughs) from that class so i was going through design principles and basic graphic design principles looking at uh, a little bit of color theory so we understand what basic colors mean and how they might alter or affect the meaning of a photograph, looking at the most uh, nebulous, as I called it, the gestalt principles, but then looking at framing and just a bunch of these others, looking at motion and whatnot as well, and being able to just look at photographs a little differently, and I would say beyond the normal thing that we consider for what makes a good photograph, because what makes a good photograph is certainly important as standard composition principles, but there, I was trying to help people go beyond that. And one good feedback I had, too, was I had someone come up and say, you know, that was all wonderful, but, you know, where do I go from here? And I thought, oh, my goodness, that is a fantastic question. Why didn't I address that? <laughs> and if I can address it now is to say, 
if you can go back, take what you learned, go back through your photographs and put those photographs through a different light uh, as you're looking at it and you're interpreting it differently, maybe as you're then out shooting your next time, you'll be thinking along those lines again and you can expand in a different way on that subject than you might normally would have because you're understanding, for instance, with Gestalt principles, you're understanding how the subject is interacting with the background and the and the foreground elements and the like, and you're able to maybe interpret it more strongly because you're more thoughtfully uh, paying attention to these things. Okay, you're baiting me. What is this Gestalt <laughs> thing? I've never heard of this. <laughs> the The very basic idea, the very basic a definition is just understanding that the the ground at the the that is the area around your subject and the subject and their interaction between them like what so, like they're standing on it they're laying on it so the very very most simple form that's kind of boring is something that is a silhouette so you look at it and you okay. say oh there's the figure there's the ground but that's kind of boring I was showing examples that would go more complex with that and say uh, one of the images I had was extremely boring. It was from uh, otherwise extremely boring. It was from uh, Mexico, uh, central Mexico, Mitla. There's uh, an archaeological uh, area there that they're digging out. And so it was this rather layered image. I had nice clouds above the uh, the architecture, you know, the archaeology in the foreground or the main subject and the um, grass. And as you're listening to me describe it, you're probably thinking, this is kind of boring, Brent. And I'm thinking, yes, <laughs> as a color image, it was boring. But then I switched it to black and white, and I did a few things in Photoshop, very minor tweaks. Actually, I think I left it only in Lightroom. But suddenly it became a very layered image. I had the, it was like a cake. I had the, the bottom layer, I had the middle layer, the top layer, all very distinct and different textures and forms and everything else coming together. And they were distinctly their own, but then they all worked together really well too. And so by removing the color and enhancing texture, we were able to enhance the conversation between those three objects. Hmm, that's cool. I've so never that heard of that. Complex, that was a more complex look at saying, here's our figure, the element that is, quote, the main element, and here's the ground in which it's sitting upon. How do those interact with each other? And Very as cool. I was shooting it, I had that exact same thought. I was like, this is a dumb image, but I, <laughs> I see the potential. And so I shot it anyway, and I was glad I did. You know, another thought on that where you're talking about, you know, the person that asks you, like, where do we go from here? Um, just, just an observation that I've made as I'm learning new things in photography is that not everything is step by step. Um, and True. it's nice when everything, when some, when, uh, something you've learned is a step by step because it's pretty easy to implement, but just not everything is. Uh, so for example, you learn about color theory and you say, oh, great. So yellow and blue go to, together really well in photos. What do I do with that? It's not a step-by-step right. step to, imp to right. include that in your photo, but that doesn't mean it's not an important part of your process. You just need to kind of wait until that recipe cooks itself up in the landscape. Exactly. Um, and when then, you, you know, bingo, it, this is it. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Yeah, Beautiful. it adds a lot to the photo. Yeah, and, and you get that the more you shoot. The more you get the 
you know, lots of different experience in doing it. Or in Flash, you can just add it with gels, put it on the flashes and start sure. to play around with those colors and yeah. really get some interesting things. And that can revitalize or, or develop your eye for it too. Like try stuff out and, and be able to see how you can make that image really pop a lot more by adding some of those different colors with the, the gels. It's really fun to do that. Mm-hmm. All right. Another one that I learned is to not shoot lazy. I don't know how many times this has bitten me over the years, uh, but I'm still learning it. Uh, so we went to a couple of the different plantations, these just beautiful, ginormous mansions and, and gardens around them um, in in Charleston. And one of them we went to was, oh, was this at Middleton? I guess I can't remember. No, this was at Magnolia Plant. plant no, I don't know. <laughs> um, but there was, there was a footbridge. There were at both of them, but going over the water, and, um, and we were just kind of walking out. We'd been there for quite a while talking with everybody and shooting and, and Emily said, well, let's go down to this foot, down to this, uh, footbridge. And we kind of walked down there and I thought, eh, you know, it's okay. I'm not sure if this is right. So I didn't walk, I walked down to the other side of the bridge. I just thought, eh, I'm not sure about this one. Uh, not quite catching my attention. And then, as this has happened too many, so many times, uh, but I saw somebody submitted to one of the competitions a photo from the other side of the bridge, and it was awesome. Um, <laughs> and so, I don't know how many times this has got me over the years, but don't shoot lazy. As soon as you have kind of the thought, hey, maybe I'll try it, just go try it. You know, you don't lose anything by right. going to try it. It's really easy as you improve in photography for that to hamper your your abilities because you say, eh, I'm really only looking for something if it's a portfolio piece. And so you kind of turn up your nose at something because I don't think I'm going to see a portfolio piece over there. Oh, yeah. But maybe you will. Um, and the people that are that shoot less lazy are going to get a lot of those shots that other people just didn't think it was going to be cool until they actually put it in a frame and, and see what it becomes. Yeah, still worth it to sketch, as it were, with your camera and explore. And like you say, something might come through and don't be lazy about it. That's that's good advice. Yeah. Absolutely. Another one that I uh, realized just as I was talking to people, uh, particularly one person, um, was to let photography serve you. Um, it's kind of what I was talking about before, but it just, man, it, it really, I saw that in sharp focus this time. Uh, actually, quite a few people uh, kind of came came up to me uh, as I was walking around and and just told me how much it meant to them. Uh, to be at the conference, yes, that the you know speakers were good. They were having good opportunities to shoot and stuff, but to just let photography serve you. Um, a lot of times, we're the ones serving photography. We're uh, disappointed in our photos. We're working on the image quality and all these things, and spending money on gear. Um, and it's really important to just let photography serve you. Uh, several people mentioned, uh, you know, that were older and said, you know, I, my spouse died and I just kind of haven't really done anything for myself uh, since. And they got out and, and came to a conference and just were with like-minded people and enjoying nature and trying new things and how much that, that meant to them. Um, and people who've, uh, you know, just busy with a day job and just came and like, it really meant a lot to, to many people that I talked to much more than, you know, when I go to a conference, it's kind of like, eh, whatever, go here, extract information, go home. Um, and yeah. to the people that allowed, um, 
photography to serve them, uh, to just enjoy that experience. Not, not just at a conference, of course, whatever you're doing. If you just go out for a weekend and shoot, to just enjoy that time. Uh, photography can be a wonderfully therapeutic um, thing if you'll let it happen. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's, uh, that goes back to kind of what I thought about with uh, being around people who are passionate like you are and, and feeding off of that energy. This is probably the first time for, uh, for a, a good portion of the attendees, at least the ones that I talk to, um, which are probably more on the, the beginner to, to advanced hobbyist kind of, of skill set. And this was the first time they'd spent money to go do something with photography other than the investment in the gear that they've had to make or maybe some, some training that they do online. But it, it was a very different experience for them to be there at the photography conference. And they, they knew they had, the, you know, it was an investment to get there for them. But it was so much more than they had anticipated that they got out of it. Like you said, let it let it serve them. They they enjoyed the experience far more than they had they had expected. Even though we've said this, like last year in the photo taco episode, I said that very same thing. Is like I did not expect I was going to love this this much. And that's exactly what I heard from a lot of people. Some said I even had a few come and say the only reason I did this was because I heard you rave about it on Photo Taco, and I thought, all right, I got to go see what this is about. And they weren't disappointed. They were this. I, it, you're right. This is like way different than I expected about how much I'm enjoying being here and this experience. It was great. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, I think we uh, we covered that pretty well. <laughs> I think that's pretty good. Uh, we don't. We want to le- make sure we have doodads of the week, like we do at the end of every episode. But before we cover those, I do want to mention just one more time: you can go buy tickets now for the retreat next year. Uh, it's the Create Photography Retreat, which you can find at createphotographyretreat.com. Uh, March next year in 2019 in Las Vegas. That might make it a little easier travel-wise. Uh, with yeah, in Las Vegas. Usually flights to Vegas are cheap. Yeah, so so it might be uh, a little more affordable this time if you and y- you know well in advance as we record this episode, you have a year to kind of get that ready. Make sure that that you can do that. But go buy those tickets. Um, the the retreat has made some special arrangements with hotels that you can only it's good first come first serve we opened it to the attendees first they've had the chance to do that but uh you know depending on on how much they took advantage of that if you get in early you might get a little better rate on some hotels so if you get if you've uh thinking about it go do it go sign up go to createphotographyretreat.com yeah and and they do for those first 50 people to register and there are still tickets uh you you get a pretty nice discount on the on your housing there yeah all right, Jim, do you have a dude out of the week to share? Well, I'm tempted to say nothing because I've been <laughs> awesome about not buying anything this year. I, I have to hand it to you. We are three months in and you have not broken your New Year's resolution, we'll call it, to I not have buy any new photography gear. I have stayed. Um, <laughs> and I am proud of myself because I didn't think I'd make it this long. Um, Neither did I. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I will uh, go back and mention one of my just... Uh, so for this year, I'm just going to mention things that I have really liked and have become kind of important pieces of of, uh, of my gear. Um, and for this one, I want to mention the really right stuff, BH40 ball head. Um, you know, we, we've talked about this a lot of times, and there are a lot of very good um, ball heads out there to choose from. But uh, I, 
even after seeing lots of them, there have been a couple times where I've been tempted. Ooh, this one looks better. Uh, but as we learn more, I think, uh, nope, nope. It kind of goes back to that really right stuff, BH40. Now I've had it. Uh, I, I can't remember exactly when I bought it. I want to say it's been five years that I've had wow. it. And, and I mean, beaten this thing for five years. And just in, in Charleston, I noticed, hey, you know what? This is getting a little bit sticky on this part. Um, and it probably means I just need to clean it out and oil it. Like, it's right, still just right. rock solid. And so anything that can last through that much time and still perform well uh, has got to go on my list. Mm-hmm. Okay, good. Brent, what do you have? I have a USB thumb drive by Silicon Power. I bought a 128 gig thumb drive uh, just before the retreat because I recently picked up one of those new MacBook Pros that only has USB-C ports. Mm -hmm. And as annoying as that is, I figured, <laughs> well, I need something here that'll work for this type of thing. So it actually is a little bit of a flip around. It has USB 3 on one side, the standard USB port that plugs into any computer, and then the USB-C on the other side. And, of course, they access the same memory module. So uh, just that little device is pretty sweet. Hey, can it's I add gas. something on that one? I, my recommendation is if you're buying USB-C stuff, like I have the iMac Pro, and so I'm definitely buying a lot of those as well, don't, yeah. don't buy cheap ones anyway on oh, Amazon no. for the cords buy the expensive stuff um, yes. because it's still kind of a new thing. And I tested <laughs> four different Thunderbolt three cords uh, this week and got fairly significantly different uh, speed numbers. Right. Like I tested right. each one a few times, switched to a new cord and tested a few times. Yeah, there was a noticeable difference, and that's not oh, like no. most cords. Um, so yeah. with with Thunderbolt three especially, but USB C in general, uh, I'm you know stick go with a Belkin, go with an Anchor, go with a known brand, and I think you'll be happier. Yeah, good advice. Yeah, because the USB C is like the format, the the physical layout, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to support Thunderbolt three speeds. Uh, it's a it's a shame that there's people that are going to do that because it should it should just go that if you have a USB C connector that you're going to have high speeds but it is absolutely not true yeah the, it does I, not mean it will have high speeds the other thing that's kind of annoying with it is some of the cords like they. I don't know if it's a standard, but what people are generally doing is if it's a USB-C cable, but it's also Thunderbolt 3, um, then they'll put just the number 3 like right on the little dongle end right where you kind of grab it as you're plugging in. Um, they'll put a number 3 there so you know it's Thunderbolt 3. But not all of the companies do that. And so when you're going through just a box of cords, there's no visual way of knowing if this right. is a Thunderbolt 3 or just USB-C. And so I've been, I need to grab my cords and, uh, and you know, label them or something so that I know. Yeah, that's a good idea. Okay, the thing that I have this week is the Cable Direct, which is spelled really funny. It's K-A-B-E-L-D-I-R-E-K-T. Why you can't spell it normal? Well, maybe there's a real cable. The other cable direct is already existence. But this is a, a 15-foot mini HDMI to HDMI cable. Um, and, and what I used this for, what I prepared for, was 
uh, you can plug this into your camera, and on many cameras, it is a mini HDMI connection that you can connect. And then when you do live view on a DSLR, you can actually see that on like a TV screen or a monitor when you plug it in the the fat HDMI connection on the other end into that device, whether it's TV or a uh, monitor. And uh, so what I was I tested it at home, and I, I plan to use this at the retreat to be able to show as I'm demonstrating techniques what it is I'm looking at, especially like not maybe not while I'm shooting, at least with the DSLR, you can't show what's in the viewfinder. Um, but I, I could at least show like the photo afterward and maybe histogram information, data about it, stuff like that. And, uh, and I thought that would be great. And I tested at home. I was like, oh, this is wonderful. It works great. I could plug it on my TV. I could see everything there. And then when we got to the, co the conference, the projectors weren't ready for us to be able to do that very well, yeah. to plug the HDMI cables in. They had some older projectors. Um, but if, if that's a need that you have, uh, it, it would be a fantastic way even with clients. If you're shooting with clients, that you could be able to show them photos as you're taking them. Um, it's, it may be not everything, something everyone wants, but if that's a need that you have for some reason to show what's on the viewfinder or uh, with mirrorless cameras, I, I, you probably can show everything, then this is a really good way. It's a long cable, 15 feet, and it worked really beautifully. So again, that was Cable Direct, K-A-B-E-L-D-I-R-E-K-T, Mini HDMI to HDMI Cable. So that's my dude out of the week. I imagine that would show your live view feed, wouldn't it? Right. Yes. Yeah. The, mm -hmm. If you went to live view or right, if you did live view or if you did like the photo review, you hit the play button sure. on the camera and, yeah. and you can take a look at it. Then it shows anything that would show on the rear LCD, then you yeah. could show that way. Yep. Oh, so, I've never thought about doing that in a presentation. That'd be kind of nice. I always, you know, just do tethered and then display from the from the computer, but I just never occurred to me to, to do the live view. That'd be kind of neat to see. Yeah. Yeah. And tethered w can work too. It's uh, at least in Lightroom, that's kind of flaky. Yes. <laughs> very so well. flaky. So, so that's a uh, harder capture. One does a much better job there. If that's the, way, the route you want to go. Can you imagine something flaky in Lightroom? Yeah. Hard to believe, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> I still like Shush. Lightroom though. <laughs> All right. Uh, uh, thanks everyone for joining us in this episode and we will see you all again in seven days. 